All right. So um, as I started to tell you, the, um, the, the approach that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa uh, took was as, uh, an approach of, of natural as opposed to an organizational way. Now, most educational systems throughout the world are um, set up in an organizational way. In other words, you go to first grade first, and then you go to second grade, and then you go to third grade, and then you go to fourth grade, and by the time, by the time all of those students who have done those four grades, there's beginning to be real diversity in there. And so uh, they have to set up all kinds of extra programs like special eds and whatnot like that, where in fact the whole idea, <clears throat> it actually seems to be something like the herd mentality, is let's put the kids all in a herd and herd them all in the same direction. And I don't think that the kids themselves like that very much, that each one of them would prefer to deal with what's happening for that child right now. And so this is more the natural uh, method. Um, but the natural method then, uh, we look at it from the perspective is, is that unlike some meditation systems, that one with it, that organized way, and in fact, some of them will say uh, that they start doing retreats, they assume that everyone who's doing the retreat is a beginner. And so they keep doing retreats for beginners. And so by doing it that way, they don't, um, they don't give the beginner everything that they need. They only give them what they need in the beginning mm -hmm. to where the natural method, we deal with any, any and everything that comes up so that the student gets used to handling everything. They can handle anything with this technique of the Buddha of the Eightfold Noble Path, then they can handle anything. Yeah, I think we talked about how like these are universal rules. Like I've asked you, like, how do I deal with this particular emotion? And you're like, no, it's the same way that you deal with anything else. Right. And that has to do with that little sequence of events. So we got to wake up. We got to take a look at what's going on. Mm -hmm. We have to make a kind of a, a, a judgment. Is this thought worth having or not? And then if it's not worth having, we throw that out and we substitute it with something that is worth having. Now, if we expand the word thought from uh, merely the uh, internal dialogue within the mind into whatever the mind is doing, expand it that way. So, in fact, if we are, um, how to say it, if we are, uh, Watching an itch, in other words, if an itch becomes uh, predominant so that we uh, it is in the foreground, then basically we say we're thinking itch as opposed to thinking about the itch. Because about's going to go all over the place, but when you're actually just watching that sensation, that's the thought. Yeah. 
Okay. So when we expand the concept of thought, we recognize, okay, well, this technique then works by using the word thought, because whatever is happening, if we investigate it to check it out to see if it's wholesome or not, then we can dispense with it, whatever it is. And that mostly for people, eventually, uh, it becomes emotions. That we have to learn to deal with our emotions, but we deal with the emotions exactly the same way that we've been dealing with any other kind of thought. So in that regard, we're think, we're, we're put, if someone is sitting and feeling bad, then much of their thinking is in the feeling bad. There's also some dialogue that's going on with that, but most of it is actually uh, that we're experiencing in that moment is uh, the emotion. And so if we can wake up to recognize what we're feeling, generally what's happening is, is that emotions are uh, sometimes quite intense. But most of the times, the emotions are almost subconscious in the sense that they don't quite come up to um, our understanding of uh, the surface. So they're, they're deeper than that. And yet, when we're sitting in meditation, if that's what you want to call it, then um, by watching and by, um, let's say, developing the skills, we begin to get in touch with those things that we used to not see so much. And those things can be all kinds of things. Some students will say, oh, I've got a lot of tension in my forehead. And yeah, but it's, right. they don't have the tension, it's the, they're thinking about the tension. Right, and so he's thinking about the tension and he's, uh, possibly put that tension there because of the kinds of thoughts that he's been having. So those thoughts and feelings come come together. Tightness in the body. Um, and a, a way of kind of thinking about it is, is that, yes, we are an integrated whole. But that integrated whole has various aspects to it, and we can deal with these various aspects individually. The yeah. body the feelings, <clears throat> the mind, and the mind's objects. Okay, so in the way of the mind's objects, um, the Satipatthana works with that in a very interesting way in the sense that it gives a list of things that can be objects of the mind. And the first thing that it starts off with naturally is going to be hindrances. That's what's going to be occupying the mind. And so we get to know these hindrances as hindrances and we begin to throw them out. So that means that now we're going to have something new in the mind, something more wholesome. And that in fact, in the Satipatthana uh, Sutta at this point is where it starts talking about um, the the actual dhamma of the buddha in the sense of it's very wholesome to think about the five aggregates it's very wholesome to think about the four noble truths and the four noble path and yet in the anapanasati sutta it says it differently and that is in the sense of um that yes 
the hindrances are there and the hindrances are to be dealt with, but that we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness, which is the Satipatthana, which is what we're getting there. But then once the Satipatthana is fulfilled, that Satipatthana is fulfilled for the seven factors of enlightenment, the Sambhojana. All right. But the Sambhojana is the fulfillment of the Eightfold Noble Path. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it item by item as they're listed, yes, you can see that. Okay, so Sambhojana is the fulfillment of the Eightfold Path, and that's the seven factors of enlightenment. Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that makes sense. And so, like, yeah, if you follow the Eightfold Path, then you are working on cultivating each of these seven factors, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you said there were four factors of Anapanasati, or what were the four? Uh, what was the? The four skills to be developed in the Eightfold Noble Path are all listed in that okay. same, basically that same order in the Sambhojana. All right. And that is right view, and that right view has always the quality of looking, of viewing, of investigating. A lot of people have the idea that that right noble view is something like a world view. But it's not. That's an attitude. A world view is an attitude. An attitude about the world. This is just a view into our own mind. Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of asking big, big questions. The world view is the answer of this is what I think of the world and this is how I respond to it in, in, a, in a really big way. To where right noble view is actually in this moment looking at what's really going on. Yeah. And it really is investigation. And that in fact, uh, that quality of investigation um, is actually defined as right noble view in the uh, uh, 117. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we actually have this um, investigation that we're going to continuously do. When do we do it? When we remember to do it. We wake up and take a look. That's basically what is going on. So, um, when those things are fully developed in the Sambhojana, that means that uh, we begin to wake up on a regular basis. Sati comes on a regular basis. In fact, uh, the, the word that Bhikkhu Bodhi chose to use is unremitting. Unremitting. Okay, so it's Un- a constant. Uh-huh. Constant unremitting in in the sense that it doesn't mean that it's all the time you're constantly reminding yourself it keeps coming back okay yeah oh unremitting yeah it keeps coming back that makes sense keeps coming back okay so um you can think of it in the sense of hurricanes in hurricane season uh new orleans doesn't have a hurricane all the time Mm -hmm. but they keep coming back yeah, they're unremitting. Yeah, uh, unremitting. Okay, yeah. so this is what we're meaning by unremitting sati. Is it that we've tw- we've trained that sati enough so that it keeps coming back, 
and it comes back when we need it the most. Okay, so um, with the uh, the Satipatthana and the uh, understanding the way that the Satipatthana Sutta is set up in relationship to Anapanasati, that gives us an idea of what we should be doing with our time that could be considered wholesome. All right, because actually anything that's happening in the here now, as opposed to in the past and the future, is automatically more wholesome. Okay, I guess to clarify that, so anything you said, anything in the here now is wholesome. Or um, and I so, didn't say everything that's in the here now is wholesome. I said that uh, okay. uh, that things are more likely to be wholesome in the here now than they are if we're dwelling in the past and in the future. Okay, so I guess the question I'd ask is like, can if I'm in the here now, can I be in discomfort or comfort, or like, can I? Uh, yeah, so like if I, I feel like a tightness in my chest and I'm and it's like an uncomfortable tightness in my chest, is am I not in the here now if there is discomfort associated with that? Or like would I be in the here now? Like if I was in the here now, would I be able to see its components? So I wouldn't be in discomfort. Well, let's say that in the here now that the body is in pain. That would be one one of those things because when the body is in pain, that it's not comfortable. That could be an itch, or it could be um, a disease. It could be anything, but that we disturb our comfort when uh, that itch is there. But that doesn't mean that we have to pay full attention to that itch. Yes. That in fact, if um, it basically uh, has to do with the quality of out of sight, out of mind, um, that this is part of the training that is done mostly in in Burmese, uh, in the Burmese traditions, and also with Goenka, of having the students sit for a long time in strong determination sittings with the idea that the body is going to get tired, it's going to have um, a strain of getting the blood circulation correct, uh, the legs will go to sleep, all kinds of things, and that the idea, <laughs> and it's only an idea now, is, is that the students know that while they're sitting there for long periods of time, that they're intentionally bringing up these sensations so that they can play a game with them. And that these sensations on their own are harmless. We have come to find out that's not true. I can yeah. name you five or more monks and people that I know of who can't sit on the floor anymore because they have messed up their knees because they've worked too hard. Conte Paolo was the first one that we knew of for sure. He was an Australian uh, monk. Uh, Subhato, who is in Malaysia. Vila Maramsi can't sit anymore. There's a number of monks who get themselves because they work too hard at it. And so this is a kind of a dangerous technique that I don't uh, recommend. But rather, um, 
to understand that whatever sensations that the body presents us with, there is a game that we can play with that sensation. Um, and that um, there are also other things that we can do. An example of that is, um, well, I'll give you this example, and I'll go ahead and let you in on it. Uh, in 1991, I was in, uh, yeah, January the 6th, 1991, I was in a, uh, a bike accident and broke a rib and that rib has never healed. And so from time to time, it will get dislodged. And then it'll pop back into shape. In fact, I can deep breathe and, and dislodge it. Oh, but sometimes it causes a sharp, intense pain. Hmm. But I know exactly what to do with that pain. And that yeah. is that I, I can generally, what I can do is I can raise my arm really high like that in the air, and that will reset that bone. And sometimes I'll even grab onto something that's very high and then pull down on it to put as much weight on that as I can, and that will help reset that bone. But you're not suffering. You're not thinking about how awful this is that your ribs dislodge. It's like, oh, like there's pain there. Yeah, there, there's that sensation that just shows that the bone is not set right. Let me put it back into place. <laughs> and sometimes it takes a while for it to do that, for it to settle down. And I might have to try several different techniques, but I can deal with it without going into having a pity party. Oh, poor me or uh, get worried or uh, some people would even go so far as to schedule surgery. Yeah, you're not ruminating over it. It's just like... You're the first person that I've told about it. Uh, let us say I had a student who was here in 2016, and I told him because he saw it happen. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And so I uh, told him about it. But what I'm doing with you is I'm pointing out that uh, a pain or a sensation can easily be dealt with if it's just a happening or just a, uh, a toy to play with. Yeah. And that breathing and manipulating it. Um, so we talk about it in the sense of hide and go seek. Also, you've heard that game that children play. Hide and go seek, yeah. Hide and go seek, except that we're going to play the game backwards. First, we're going to go seek out that sensation or that pain. Pay very, very close attention to it, exactly where it is. What we've come to understand uh, through a neuroscience is, is that those nerve endings that cause that sensation or uh, make that uh, uh, chemical noise is not just one nerve cell in one place. That there are all, all over that area. And so if, um, let us say that you had a pain right here on the arm and you were looking at that pain, perhaps it's on the leg. And if I look at it exactly right there, I recognize, wait a minute, it doesn't hurt right there. It hurts someplace else. Let me look here and let me look over here and let me look there and around. And I begin to recognize that the pain is moving 
just slightly out of my field of direct intense investigation. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so the pain's moving out of the one location. It's not just in It's not just right here, right. When I yeah. look at it right there, it feels like it is someplace else, and so I begin to, uh, to move around. This is what we're talking about, of seeking it out. Yeah, and if you it, seeked it out, like even if you went deeper, I mean, like, would you see that like that is it's also composed of a whole bunch of it's not one thing. It's like temperature, it's pressure, it's a whole bunch of disparate, mm -hmm. like little feelings that become like a mind object that feels like a single thing. Yes, exactly. All right. So we begin to recognize that this thing is not as big and as powerful and as important as it was, that what made it big and powerful and important was is that I hated it and I mm -hmm. wanted to get rid of it. Now we're already automatically out of that frame of reference because we're in the frame of reference of investigation. I don't hate it anymore. Now I'm just looking. Yeah, I see. Yeah, you're not. You're not like. There's not a self that's like pointing it out. There's a self that's like investigating or maybe not a self, but there's something investigating that or right. we're, like we're well, looking around investigating, seeing what it's composed of. We're not just like, oh, I'm in pain, my arm hurts. Like, it's a different attitude. Completely different attitude about it, okay? Yeah. Now we're just investigating sensation. Hmm. That, in fact, the word pain is a mental object. Mm -hmm. It's not the physical pain. That, in fact, is hard. it's even hard to talk about it because our language is messed up. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the sensation in the body as a sensation in the body. And when I don't like it, perhaps because it's a very sharp sensation mm -hmm. or maybe a dull sensation or perhaps it's associated with blood pressure and it's a throbbing sensation. But whatever the sensation is, it's just a sensation. And you could also say that it is a communication that that part of the body is trying to communicate with the brain that something is not right here. An example of that is someone who's got a broken arm and their arm's in a cast. And every time they move the arm, it hurts. What does that mean? It means leave me alone and let me be still so I can mend this bone. And so we actually begin to see that kind of pain inside the cast as a useful thing. Because if we don't pay attention to that pain, then the bone's not going to heal. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, like a, I, so it's communicating to you. It's like, hey, don't move this arm. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like when we're thinking like, oh, my gosh, my arms are like, yeah, that's going to keep us from moving our arm. That makes sense. And so. Yeah, so. Are we're I guess like I, I just had a so like when we have that pain um, like I guess there's some sort of mind object that is pain right that's what we're mm -hmm. saying um, and then I guess I was thinking about the sense doors and I guess I was trying to think like do we ever really see those or do we only see the mind object like if I sit down and do my investigation like am I looking at the mind objects or like am I actually even like or is there 
that's a very complicated question. And the answer is sometimes yes and sometimes no. Okay. That, in fact, when we make a deeper investigation into Paticca Samupada is when exactly you'll get the answer to that okay. question. All right. Okay. Uh, but uh, kind of the point is, is that whenever we have a, uh, and we're talking about the touch sensation, mm -hmm. we can actually see something uh, that can be called an eyesore. Something so ugly. <laughs> okay, um, that that we have the same kind of reaction as if there was a sore on the skin. Mm -hmm. Okay, a kind of repulsion. That's mental. Mm -hmm. And that the sore, uh, the eyesore, is only an eyesore when someone looks at it and feels like it's an eyesore. When that person is not looking at it directly with the eyes and also not thinking about it, then it's not an eyesore. It's just an object. That what made it an eyesore was someone thought <clears throat> that it was painful, that it was yeah. sore. All right. So the same thing is true with the sore on the body or that inch, or that broken bone, or that whatever sensation is there. Uh, and that is, is that this is the part of the, of the uh, hide and go seek part that we were talking about in reverse. The first thing is we do is we really take it out. We do an investigation. We notice it very well. And then the next side of it is, is that now we're going to avoid it completely. We're going to not think about it. We're going to throw it out of the mind. We're literally going to go someplace else with the mind. Yeah. A way to talk about it is to ignore that pain, to get it out of the mind and come back. So if we took, I don't know, uh, I guess like hot. hot Everybody's like, uh, capable of doing this to a certain degree. Yeah, I, I believe you. Uh, yeah, I guess the. So I guess my question would be like, um, so. Say, okay, yeah, pain or like I don't know something. Yeah, say we say some. There's like some pain mental object, and we do our investigation, and we notice this is like. Um, uh, I don't know, like a couple things or I don't know. What if we, so when you say forget, when we, do we, what if we thought that that pain isn't there? Like what if we thought it had the, like maybe one of the qualities of that pain is like um, pressure or something like that. Um, okay. And what if we thought about spaciousness in that location? Um, or like instead of thinking, I would I guess, call that playing with it. Okay. To pay attention to it, to play with it, to try oh, so to then be paying attention to it. Okay. Right. Yeah. You don't want to do that. <clears throat> yes, you do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. But you want to do it in cycles. Hmm. In the sense that there's going to be a time when you really pay attention to it. When you really pay attention and, and play with it, see if you can move the pain around. If it's in the chest area, you can use the breath to breathe into it all kinds of different possibilities with that 
And then um, <clears throat> later, is we're going to hide from it. We're going to ignore it. We're going to not pay attention to it. We're going to take it out of our consciousness. An example of that would be a mosquito bite that in the beginning, you're going to make sure that you don't scratch it. So uh, this takes some mindfulness because normally people scratch whatever itches there are kind of mindlessly while they're focusing on something else. So what we do with that mosquito bite is, no, I'm going to directly focus on it. I'm going to, I'm going to look at it. Literally, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to experience it fully. And then later, I'm going to completely ignore it. Even though the sensations haven't really changed, my perception of those sensations have changed completely. Yeah, we've changed our attitude towards it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, by like playing with you're it. You're actually, you're a, right. You're developing the right attitude about this instead of the attitude of poor me with that mosquito bite and I hate it and I wish it would go away into, hmm, yeah, I can see that. And now I can disregard it that's much more of a winner's attitude precisely yeah all right so in the sense of pains and situations like this these things come and go and we're practicing with them exactly the same way that we're um working with the with the hindrances except that um the investigation that we do with many of them, uh, let us say the verbal thoughts that we have, we can actually see very quickly that that's dukkha and that it can be thrown out. Mm -hmm. All right. With the, with the sensations, we're going to look at them a little bit more because in fact, what we're actually looking at in a way is the fact that we don't like it. And we're changing that. We're not changing the sensation. We're not changing the sensual input but we're changing the way that we perceive it yeah. by investigating it, by looking at it, by changing the way we feel about it intentionally. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you can play with it and your perception shifts, then like that kind of clues you into the nature of it or like mm -hmm. how much value it has, which I guess would be like. And by doing so, we develop very, very slowly in layers over time. We develop the attitude, I can handle anything. Hmm. Hey, at one time I felt that this sensation was so sharp that it was unbearable. My, how things are really going to get bad someday later. Yeah. Into, hey, this one ain't so bad. I can handle this one too. Yeah, you develop that winner's attitude. Uh, like, yeah, I can do that winner's attitude yeah. through this this method of hide and go seek that we're talking about. That we can begin to handle any sensation. Yeah. And so, with that, we're also looking at it in 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 this way. Once once the hindrances in the uh, the Satipatthana Sutta. It has this in order that the next thing that we're going to be investigating is the five aggregates, hmm. which is, in fact, what we're already kind of doing with this pain thing. But the number one part of point about the aggregates, and I'll give you each one. Uh, um, actually, I'll give you the whole group. 
and then we'll talk about each one in individually because there's a major reason why these aggregates are there. All right, the aggregates are, in fact, aligned with the four foundations of mindfulness, except that we're looking at the same thing in a different way. The first part of the five aggregates is body. Well, body is there in the Anapanasati Sutta, it's in the Satipatthana. We got that one, we know what that one is. But one of the qualities that we're looking for within the five aggregates is the body is not the self. That's not what I am or who I am. And that's fairly easy to be seen because the body that you've got now is not the same body you had when you were six years old. Mm-hmm. Nor will it be the same body that you'll have when you're my age. Yeah. It's just not the same. It changes over time. It's not a fixed item. It's not a self. What we mean by the way of self is the quality of uh, inherently the same thing. A much better word that we could have used in the translations, and I'm very, very surprised because, as we pointed out before, that it was Christian translators that were translating the Pali into English. Why? This one word that's causing so many people so much trouble in the English language is simply because of a very small translation error. That these Christian translations uh, should have translated atta and anatta, not as self and no self, but soul and no soul. Why? Because the idea of a soul is, is that it's permanent. If something that's the same about me from the moment I was born to the time I die or something like that, right? Your, e- your eternal like there's soul. There's a story, an overarching your, story of like me, I don't know, going to college and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, this is not only a concept that's built into the modern religions of the day, most specifically Christianity, Islam, and Judaism with the monotheistic religions, but they're monotheist or the monotheo, the God itself, also is a soul, everlasting and everlasting in the sense of unchanging, which meant if he was a villain who was doing genocide in Jericho, then he's still a villain doing genocide on the streets of Poughkeepsie. The God is the God. It doesn't change. Mm. All right. And yet, Jesus comes along and says, oh, no, God's love. Well, that means automatically that God's able to change. So God himself is not even a soul. Mm. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I see what you're getting at. I guess, like, the argument there would be that, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue with there. But you could be like, yeah, it's like a, whatchamacallit, a outside of time, uh, like a god, sort of like outside of time, kind of like beyond comprehension, sort of deal. <laughs> so, kind of hand wave that, like, oh, no. <clears throat> the reason why people put it outside of time and space and beyond comprehension is because they've made the darn thing up and it does not fit any of the test and realities. Mm-hmm. The fact is, it is, is actually quite a, easy for the beginning Buddhist student to see that they don't have a soul, but they will wonder for years about is there a self or not? And the reason no soul, but is there a self or not? 
Right. Is there, am I, Why would they I, wonder about that? Well, <clears throat> everyone falls into the trap, I think, therefore I am. Yeah. Descartes, or uh, Descartes, rather, he made that mistake. Mm-hmm. The more correct mistake, or the more, <laughs> excuse me, the more correct way to say it is, I think, therefore I think I am. Hmm. That the I, the I am, is a thought. But the reality is, is that the body is not that soul. The body is not that self. In fact, none of the uh, the aggregates are. So this is the point in the teachings of the Buddha where the Satipatthana becomes the five aggregates. And the five aggregates in order are the body, the feeling, uh, perception, sankara, and consciousness. Some people put it as consciousness, uh, um, perception, and sankara. Okay, so it's the body, the feeling, the perception. And the mind is broken into three groups in the sense of how the mind works. Okay. All right. So we can think of it like this. That's what a self, those are the components of self, would be like these five aggregates. These five aggregates are our entire sum of our own personality. Mm-hmm. The way we see things, our old past, the way we feel, and the body that we walk around in is our personality. Mm-hmm. And the body that we have has various trainings and various uh, skills that it has developed. Um, for instance, if a, uh, a large plastic fish, this long, was thrown at you, from the side, you might not be able to catch it. But a, uh, a football player who is an all-star champion Heisman Trophy winner, if you throw that fish at him, more than likely he'll catch it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's been catching <laughs> odd-shaped objects like footballs for many years. One time after another, after another, after another, he knows how to do it. Yeah. Okay. So in that regard, the body that we have is a sum total of all of the skills and things that have happened to it, uh, but that it is not who you are. You are not the body. The body changes. And if the body changes, then who you are would also have to change. Whatever that you are that's associated with the body. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Like, I mean, if you change any of the five aggregates, it's probably going to be like a different self on the other end. Right. And so the, what they're constantly in flux. So, so these five aggregates that make up uh, uh, the personality um, is what then gives us the view, almost the world view, of who am I. And the Christians, they all have an idea about who each one is. There's an eternal soul, et cetera, you know, the whole show. Um, uh, Original sin, the whole nine yards of it. And everybody's got a kind of an idea. This is who I am. This is me. Okay. Except that what we're not doing is we're not doing a full enough investigation to recognize that that me that we're talking about is in constant flux. Mm-hmm. is constantly changing. And yet whenever one of those changes comes up, then we attach to that as me. 
Yeah. All right. Here's how we do that. In fact, it's built right into our language. It's so common that it's built into the language in the sense of I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm sad. No, you're not frustrated. You're not angry and you're not sad. But uh, let us just take one of those as the example of angry or frustration. Yes, there is anger there and it is the predominant feeling, but they're not your feelings. Anger is there, but you are not the anger. This is part of what we're doing with Anapanasati is to wake up to see I am not my thoughts. I am not my feelings. I am not my body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like our, I mean, it's our perception or like it's the, um, I don't know, the mental objects arrange themselves in a way to like make a self present. And I don't know, like, I guess like there's some like awareness and then like whatever the things that arise in that. And like, I mean, we can tend to kind of like prune that garden and like have different perceptions. I mean, that's kind of what we've been talking about a little bit. So yeah, it would make sense if you like, um, because we can kind of like change ourself or like whatever our perception is or outlook that would like, yeah, there's no mm-hmm. persistent self. Sorry, those are kind of rambling. But yeah, there's like some, there's an amount of ingredients, like five aggregates that go into like who we think of as ourself. And yeah, if we like change those, which it sounds like we're kind of like doing, we're shifting, by following the Eightfold Path, then mm-hmm. that sense of self would change. Right, because the number one point of the teaching of the Buddha, and Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa in one of his talks that wound up in Lion's War, makes, uh, uh, he makes the point that the entire teaching of the Buddha is, is that you can change. Mm-hmm. To where is the prominent, the predominant, absolutely number one vital but unspoken teaching of christianity is you can't change you've got an original sin and and you continue to sin and the big guy in the sky is going to come after your butt unless you suck up to him yeah that is that is true for a lot. I mean, yeah, that's the perception a lot of people have. Okay. So this is the problem then that humanity has when it comes to that is, is that we think that it's hard to change or difficult or even impossible to change. Hmm. Uh, people who have, um, an, let us say, a known addiction, for instance, dropping that addiction for them is very, very hard because it's supposed to be hard. Yeah, they think it's hard. They they think and, it's, they want it really bad. Uh-huh. Well, uh, on that regard, what we need to do is recognize, guess what? Everybody's addicted. We all yeah. are addicted. Yeah, I'm addicted to the, the question is, are you going that, to be addicted yeah. to something wholesome, or are you going to be addicted to something unwholesome? Yeah. And it's that easy. When you recognize it is that easy, we can begin to unaddict ourselves to the unwholesome and start addicting ourselves to the wholesome. We can change. We do not have to go by the old comma, the old way of doing things. Yeah, so we do our investigation. We look at the thoughts we have. 
or like we look at the thoughts and by thoughts we don't just mean verbal thoughts that could be like um i don't know which um sound thoughts or like uh what or the any sense door thought or whatever it's called mm -hmm. um i don't know like touch thought or sen whatever sensation thought we can be like is this wholesome or unwholesome if it's unwholesome maybe we want to play around with it a little bit like you said um but we want to forget it. We want to let it go mm -hmm. if it's unwholesome. We do not want to be attached to that. If it's wholesome, then we want to attach to that. You could basically say then that there's a two-step process. One is to grab hold of it, and the other one is to throw it out. Yeah. And so, yeah, so grab a hold of it, and then just throw it out. And so we're investigating, and one of the wholesome things that we can investigate are the five aggregates. With respect to ourselves, this that is something about? that needs to be investigated yeah. precisely, and it's also the five aggregates is kind of a shorthand and the uh, beginning of the teaching of Paticca Samuppada. So now the, the five. Go ahead. I guess like I've tried to contemplate like what is myself before, but it's kind of kind of tricky is like the five aggregates. Is that just so like a, a reasonable way to break it down so that it's easier for us to investigate? Is that one way of well, looking at it or? Yes, but it's easier to break it down that way because it does break down that way. Because it does, it's okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Investigate it does, that way. yeah, I see what you mean. And, and that it does have a kind of a sequence of events or a sequence of process. A process. A process. The investigation or the no, the actual events of the mind. Okay, the formation of how the mind like works is in a sequence of events. Yeah. All right. And so, uh, as we've seen from the second noble truth, that the second noble truth, which is also known as Mara and his three daughters of greed, ill will, and delusion, you can then look at um, uh, Paticca Samapada. In that way, in the sense that Paticca Samapada has 12 steps. The first step is uh, ignorance. And the last step, 12, is suffering or dukkha. And the slap dab in the middle, number six and seven, is uh, the Vedana, the feelings that give rise to, uh, you know, the feeling of I like it, I don't like it, or I don't know what to do with it. And the tanha, which then is the lobha, the dosa. Okay. Tanha is so, the clinging, right? Right. That's okay. uh, grasping. The, the tanha grasping. is the wanting. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. Okay. And then I've got it. I've got it. All right. So this is the, uh, uh, the tanha in the upadana part. But as you can see, there they are. This is nothing but the second noble truth in its full expansion and that five of the 12 items on this list in fact are the five aggregates so always the five aggregates should be a basic introduction into paticca samuppada and if we go deep enough into the five aggregates we're almost covered half of paticca samuppada oh, wow. and so the first thing that we have to understand is that inherently inside of the feelings i am not that feeling there is a feeling of anger when it's there but it's not me 
And yet the way our language is set up, we, uh, it's easy to make that mistake that my feelings are me, who, how I feel is who I am. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. How I feel is who I am is because I've had all kinds of feelings, which means that who I am is all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you said there's this first step of ignorance. Okay, yeah, never mind. We probably just want to keep talking about the five aggregates because that it sounds like if I get wrapped up in the mm-hmm. all the like big 12 steps, well, there's a lot of other questions. Right. The way that we look at this ignorance in the relationship to the Paticca Samuppada is how it affects the Sankara. The Sankara is the storage of all of the ignorant, stupid things we've done (laughs) and thought. And so um, we'll get a little bit more into that next time. The important thing for right now is to recognize that we are not our thoughts, we are not our feelings, and we are not the sensory input itself. Mm -hmm. That we're not consciousness in the sense that Um, First off, I will be giving you over time two different definitions of consciousness. But the kind of consciousness that we're talking about now is sense consciousness in the the way that when you can see, you know you can see, and that the eye takes an object. The eye takes... You're saying I am not whatever is collecting and processing sensory data. Right. That you, you are not the site itself yeah i'm not the site itself yeah i'm not like the touch or anything like that exactly that i am not that uh sense sensory contact that i am so like if i touch if i touch the wall that's not me touching the wall is that kind of what you're saying no uh if you touch the wall uh, or let us say the fingers touch the wall. But the fingers are only giving out a touch sensation, and you are not that sensation. If anything, okay. you're the one who is the observer or the experiencer of that sensation, but even that's a little bit shaky. Yeah. All right, but you're not the wall and you're not the hand, you're not the touch. Uh, And the reason for that is is that uh, sometimes you can't control the wall. For instance, there are no walls here for me to touch. Yeah. That's an important point. Um, That the Buddha made actually in a sutta number 38. And this is the sutta of, um, the, na- the name of it is, is uh, the Maha Tanha Vibhanga Sutta. And this is uh, called the exposition then on uh, Tanha. And that uh, the Tanha is a grasping, but it all gets started with the uh, hinged on the word consciousness. Sati, the son of a fisherman, had the, the wrong view that it was his consciousness that ran in circle from life to life, experiencing the results of good and bad actions from the past. That's exactly Mm -hmm. the way that they state it. And the Buddha is saying, no, 
that that's not correct. It is not, and yet that's what Hinduism, in fact, if you think about it, that's what Christianity is really on about when they talk about a soul. It's not a soul that would be a hard object. Because when people get to heaven, they have the idea that they're going to be conscious in heaven. Perhaps they're conscious of the gold streets, or maybe they're conscious of the the deep fog, or perhaps they're consciousness of the loot players that eat uh, Philadelphia brand cream cheese on bagels. That's yeah, because to like heaven. Wait, you said the body's part of the five aggregates. Is that what you said? Or at least the senses and the consciousness that comes with those senses. Yeah, so without those senses or like without that stored in like memory or whatever, mm -hmm. then yeah, like the self that you're talking about right now. Right. So, so what, would, what would a soul be if that soul had no senses and no consciousness? What kind of soul would that be? So, not much <laughs> yeah I mean it wouldn't be what I consider me right now like it wouldn't just be like I get teleported somewhere and like everything's groovy alright so now the Buddha's coming by and just say wait a minute all this stuff then that everyone when they think of it eternally going to heaven and into a future life and whatever like that what do we take with us we take consciousness mm -hmm. and we take sensory input and the Buddha says no. And the reason for that is because, remember, we're talking about a soul here, something that's there all the time, something that's indestructible. And yet when you're asleep, you're not conscious. Consciousness comes and goes. Mm -hmm. You can be looking at something, and then the next minute thinking about something, and then the next minute feeling something, and then the next minute... Uh, uh, experiencing something else and so the consciousness is jumping around from object to object and there's no consistency there this is the point that the buddha is making in the first part of this sutta is is that consciousness is dependently arising okay so yeah like yeah i was trying to think like yeah when i'm sleeping there's no self there. I mean, like, maybe if I'm dreaming, but even then, it's going to be a different me dreaming. Or, like, that's that dream kind scenario. of sensory awareness. That's the so kind I was trying of to think, like, yeah, what's there, like, if I'm not conscious? And you may not even be conscious of it. Exactly. Yeah, dreams what's there if you're not really... conscious? Because I'd still consider, I don't know. That's like. But when me, you are asleep, but... you've got no concept of time. Yeah, it's, yeah there's no concept okay. of time. You don't get to... All right. So there's no consciousness there. Yeah. Concept of time has to come because we're conscious of time, the passage mm -hmm. of time. All right. So that just kind of nails it right there. When we do realize that consciousness is dependently arising, that it's not continuous. Yeah. So I guess like I was reading some like weird Buddhist sites a while ago and they're all like, but the catch is there's a Gandhava or like there's a shell that goes from like one lifetime to the next that doesn't carry like any of this like memory or like it, it carries it karma somehow. It doesn't even go from one breath to the next. It doesn't yeah, okay. go from one day to the next. How could it possibly go from one lifetime to the next unless we're thinking magically? Yeah, so, so you're saying like we're not 
even it's even sketchy that we're the observer of what's ever going on. Because I guess like when we're sleepy, maybe we turn off our memory, maybe we turn off our sensory inputs. Um, so maybe there's something there that it's just resting um, and isn't observing anything, but it would still be like considered an observer. Is that? Well, if there is if there is no observing done, then there is no observer. There is a yeah. gap. There is an emptiness. There is a nothingness between, and then it arises again. Yeah, there's like a nothingness that when I don't know is something arising in that nothingness or like it's I mean is it nothingness to like five plus five aggregates then like we're on our way to making like a self or something like that or mm -hmm. what is like I guess if there's a nothingness there then like how does something arise from that well we actually make a mistake in linguistically when we say nothingness is there Oh, because shoot. yeah, I guess that's right. not even there. <laughs> there is no nothingness there. Nothingness is not a thing to be there. Okay. Yeah. All right. That what we're talking about is the absence of something or the loss of something. And in this case, there is the loss of consciousness. It comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And when it's um, sort of like. Uh, uh, there's many examples. One would be the ball at a disco that's got mirrors on it, and then the lights are shining while the, uh, the ball twirls, and it gives the uh, uh, sensory awareness of a strobe light. And that when we first look, we can see the dancers, but we only see the, lash, the light flash on, and then we see, and then it flashes off, and then it flashes on again, and now it's off. And we think that everything is, is standing still. But if we begin to put uh, connect the dots together so that we can see between the strobes that the, what I saw this time and what I saw the next time, not the same. Things have changed. All right. Let's take so another. It, go ahead. All right. The, the another example, which uh, is, is quite good. Uh, this comes from my own past. My dad was a projectionist for a couple of years when I was six to eight years old. And that in the movie theater, they have the projections and uh, the, uh, the projector. And the projector has a very, very strong light, an arc light. And at the other end, it has a, a, a fan-like bladed device on a circle so that half the time the light is shown and half the time the light is not shown. And this thing spins, uh, I think, at an, at an RPM of 12 times a second, which allows it to have 24 times of darkness and 24 times of light because it's got, you know, quadrants like this. And so as you move from quadrant to quadrant, you can see the, the, the light. Yeah. But then there is time when you can't see like this, okay? And so it's spinning. Mm -hmm. which means the light's on half the time. When the, uh, when the projector is projecting no light to the screen, the screen is dark, that's when the film will click to move to the next frame, one picture after another. And then that uh, machine moves into, into the light so that you can see it. And then it moves to the dark, and now it changes frame. Mm -hmm. 
This is why they called them flicks in the old days, because you could actually hear at a slower speed the flickering when it's run at 10 to 15 frames a second. You can actually see the frames move if you're paying close attention. By 24, you can't. So people in the 1950s and 60s would go to a movie and pay the fee, but they only got half a movie. Half yeah. the time they said in the audience, the screen was dark. Someone's coming. Okay. So half the time the screen is dark. Think about that. And yet nobody in the movie theater knows that. Unless yeah. they go up to the projector and see how this thing is done. And then they recognize, hey, the screen's dark half the time. Yeah, because, yeah, we're just not aware of the darkness in between. Ah, but then the delusion sets in. This is a motion picture. And it's not. It's a set of still frames, one after another after another. And it's not a motion picture at all. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Because that's your consciousness, and that's the perception of self. When the self is there, we think it's there all the time. And when it's not, we're not thinking about it, we don't see it. And then the self comes up, and we think it's there all the time. And when it's not there, it's gone. And we're not thinking about it. And then the self comes back up and we think it's there all the time. Oh, okay. I see what you mean by saying that's tricky. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, I wasn't catching. It's like, oh, well, like, okay, there's like this thing where there's like, there's this thing and nothing is and things happen. But you're saying that like, we're just not aware when there's not a self. Because. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Because you like, this... if I'm asleep, then, you know, I don't register that I'm sleeping. I'm not conscious of sleep. This is where the concept of sunyata in Buddhism comes from, is that we have to start watching the gaps between, rather than only focusing on what's there when it's there, we have to also focus on what's not there when it's not there. Yeah. Yeah, and so we can look at the five aggregates, because these things are present when there's a self, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so basically, we can, well, I don't know if we could see when they're not there, but this is normally what happens in the human mind with these five things. First off, I need to give you a definition, and we'll get a very short definition of sankara, and then go into it great detail later. Sankara, you can think of as your past. The sankara is all of the stored feelings and thoughts and. Uh, experience that you've had in the present time so that um, when when we think about something in order to gain understanding we draw upon this database or this past that we have all right that drawing then upon that is what we call perception that we take consciousness we mix it around with the stuff that we've had from the past and we come up with um, a new kind of consciousness, which is an internal consciousness, which is our understanding. Uh, we could use the word realization, but in fact, we don't realize anything. We mentalize. So if I see that tree out there, I see it and then I call it a tree. By calling it a tree, I've had to... Um, 
go into my database of trees to figure out that this object is actually a tree. It fits that definition of what I have for tree so I can call it a tree. Yeah. All right. That calling it a tree is the perception. Mm -hmm. Or let us say figuring out what to call it is perception. Yeah, it's like when we look, there's some ignorance, then all these processes kick off and we're like, okay, like recall happens based on our memory banks and whatever. If you were raised in a desert where there were no trees and you yeah, never yeah, saw a big cactus, a tree, yeah. you wouldn't know what to do with a tree when you saw it. Yeah. So like this, we, we base all of our new understanding upon our old past experiences, which are the Sankara. And the three of them come together uh, as uh, what we mean by realization or mentalization of something. Mm -hmm. Another way of saying it is no one lives in the real world and it's not possible to live in the real world is only possible for dogs and cats and humans to live in a mentally constructed world that each one of us creates for ourselves. Yeah. And so we live in a mentally constructed world. That mentally constructed world has all of the features of senses, but it's all inside the mind. It's the picture that we create in the mind. It's, for instance, when we watch a movie, how do we choose who we believe is the villain. I mean, yeah, whoever it's because we we've got dislike. villain data stored in there yeah. and this guy fits villain. And so we're going to give him the label of villain. Yeah. So how frequently do we do that? Like, is this like a. How fast does it happen is a yeah. better question. It happens really fast. OK, yeah. So the, that's how we get Buddha the appearance says, of a. See the mind world. is so fast, O monks. The Buddha says the mind is so fast, O monks, that he doesn't even have an analogy for how mass fast the mind is. Okay, so I'm going through this like cycle or like this process of constructing what's around mm -hmm. me or like myself it and can't like the be world around of me. A cycle. They do think of it as a cycle. In fact, cycle, the like a step. of, of uh, Tibet have the teacher Samapada in a cycle, in a, in a wheeled thing. But the better way of looking at it is, is it's sort of like the dropping of a rock and it hits the ground. Mm -hmm. You drop another rock and it hits the ground. You hit throw another rock and it hits the ground. Okay, what is the throwing of the rock is, uh, is the uh, consciousness that we see something. And when we see it, we try to make sense out of it. Once we made sense out of it, that's what contacts us, and that's what gives us our feelings. Okay. okay. So, we're doing our investigation. I'm reflecting on the five aggregates. Are the five aggregates, since they're part of the self that we've said, there is no self. Does that automatically make no a self muscle? in perception itself. There so is like no my idea that this aggregate makes me makes myself that would be unwholesome ah there's another way of looking at it and i think that i left out something that i should have said earlier and that is if these five aggregates are not the self then where does the self come from uh, okay yeah 
And the answer to that is, is that it comes from the process that these five aggregates kick off and go through, and those would be later steps of Paticca Samupada. Mm -hmm. Okay. That uh, so it's like there's something that's later in this process that mm -hmm. would then recognize as the, the five aggregates, and then it would mm -hmm. kind of kick off that. Basically, it's within the four modes of clinging. And we'll talk about that later. So where the self comes from is actually a process of the mind. But the actual components of the mind, individually, each one of them is not the self. Yes. Oh, okay. I see. It is the aggregate. <laughs> it's the collection of these that makes the self. This collection of things, these aggregates, are not the self. Okay, here's an example. A musical instrument, a violin. It's got knurls and it's got knobs and it's got a sounding board and it's got a magical little pin inside of it and it's got a bridge for the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the um, the strings and the and the bridge is is arranged in an arc so that the bow can hit each individual string or bear down and hit two of them at a time and things like that this violin is not music yeah it's a violin mm -hmm. it's not music but when you add music can be produced from this violin but the violin itself is not music Oh, so you can like you can have all of these aggregates, but that doesn't necessarily make a self. It's when you it's, add all the components together that it finally even makes when you bring all the components together of that violin, it's still not music. Okay, I see. So if you have four of the five aggregates, then maybe not self. Well, there is no self in any of the five aggregates. Oh, sorry, the aggregates don't have a self. Yes. Right. The five aggregates themselves, though, can be manipulated in a such a way so that a self, like music, can occur. Mm -hmm. That's the important point is, is that the five aggregates themselves, not okay. any one of them, nor in combination, are they you. you so are you're, not you're saying you could have all the properties of self, but they aren't self until, like, something plays them, I guess, like the... The violin. Exactly. It's not that just the summation equals that. It's there's something else looking at it. Mm -hmm. And yet, whenever we have a pictorial representation of music, you'll see uh, trouble signs and always a violin. <laughs> yeah. And we picture the violin as music itself. No, the violin is not music itself. Just like your body, your feelings, your mind, your consciousness, your perceptions, all of that stuff in combination, your whole personality is still not a self. It's still not a you. Just so, like yeah, that there's... entire violin put together correctly and fine-tuned and everything, it's still not music itself. Okay, you are not. so there's this thing that or this, there's this other thing that we'll get into later, you're saying, that kind of like would notice these factors and then cause the rise of the self. Mm -hmm. And I guess like that thing and is when attaching that arises, to those five. You call, 
And the easy way to think of it is when that self does arise, it's called selfishness. Selfishness, okay. Instead of talking about there is no self, a better way of saying it is, is that selfishness is painful. Mm-hmm. Selfishness is unsatisfying. Okay, yeah, so... And so if we we want to change our attitude towards the aggregates. Is that kind of... Right, so the attitude for the aggregates uh, is um, that they are not me. I am not the feelings. Okay, so yeah, if I'm doing my investigation, I would maybe notice these aggregates, and then I would not forget the aggregate, but I would notice my relationship with that then that relationship with that aggregate may show that I'm attacked. Like there's some self thinking this is me. And then I would mm-hmm. say, well, like this isn't wholesome. I'm going to let go of that. But the aggregate could still be there. That doesn't necessarily, that's not bad. That's just a th- how it is. All right. Let so. us say that if we are unaware of anger and react in an angry way and therefore get anger and angriness as, as feedback, then in that feedback loop, anger can last a long time. Mm -hmm. However, once you recognize, and you can very quickly to recognize, I am not that anger. That anger is merely something that's in the body-mind complex right now, but it's not me. Yeah. That's, in fact, what we're practicing in Anapanasati when we wake up and say, aha, I see you. Aha, I see you are not me. I'm angry, which means the anger's got me. But when I come out, aha, I see you, Myra, that is a disjointedness or a disconnection to recognize, oh, I'm not, I'm not angry. Anger is there, but I'm not angry. I'm the one who is seeing the anger now. Before I was in it, but now I'm not. Yes. And we can do that component by component, think component thought by, by thought. component, moment by moment, thought moment by, by thought. Moment. I am not that. We can look at, yeah, we can reflect on the self. We can understand that we are not that. We're not pain or like, we're not like not ugly that or. I'm not that anger. I am not that racist bigot when I have racist bigot thoughts. And yeah, we're not saying I am that. We're saying I am not that. I am not that. And as far as wholesomeness goes, well, I imagine like, yeah, if we're able to attach to wholesomeness, then yeah, like the self would kind of dissolve because it's our attachments with these things. But in fact, exactly right. Then the selfishness dissolves. Then you could go so far as to say that unwholesome things are generally things we're selfish about. Mm-hmm. Like they're like those people are voting for the wrong guy. Therefore, they're bad. And I yeah, have it, the right and the and the opportunity to, to go hurt them. This yes. is OK. So that that kind of mentality is quite common nowadays. But it's always been there in humanity in the sense of, I don't like it, therefore my anger is right and correct, and it is proper 
for me to go do harm. Mm -hmm. But when we recognize, oh, wait a minute, I'm just being selfish right now because I'm attached to my own anger. If I see anger itself is unwholesome, then I can deal with my own anger without having to, um, let us say, get a Gatling gun. <laughs> yeah, like we've, we've made this self up to like answer some question that like we can't solve some like ignorance or whatever. We come up with the answer. The answer would be like unwholesomeness as we like go do the anger. Mm -hmm. And so in our minds, it's like, yeah, this is the correct thing to do. But if we like reflect on these, uh, we reflect on the self, we would understand that we are not these things. <laughs> and, um, you know, those, the unwholesome action wouldn't arise. Exactly. So this is a way that we can begin to incorporate these teachings within uh, the practice of Anapanasati is to start using the mind in wholesome ways to reflect upon these five aggregates. I am not this body. Yes. I am not these feelings. I am not this consciousness, but it's just there as part of the mechanism. These are part of the aggregates that I used to confuse with me. And now okay. I recognize none of these things are me. This makes a lot more sense because I feel like the past couple of times we've talked, I've been like, you know, tell me what to think about so that it's wholesome. <laughs> but you're telling me it's like, no, there's not like a trick. Like I shouldn't just be like thinking about cute puppies. It's like we're, we're reflecting on like what's like the unwholesomeness that's present. And mm -hmm. by looking at our relationships with those um, and understanding that we are not those, then wholesome... Yes wholesomeness can arise like we were giving space for wholesomeness to arise because you're never telling me like these things are wholesome it's more like these are factors of like wholesomeness or like mm -hmm. i don't know maybe like reflecting on the dhammas like a wholesome thing to do but it's not like you can't give me a list of like you know wholesome things to think about is that kind of true or like yes okay. yes that's exactly right so as we progress in this we'll begin to understand how the mind itself actually works that winds us up into this state of selfishness. Yeah. Which is actually into a state of being dissatisfied. And that's the Samupada, that's the kind of, the, the what's this it called? Patika, right. Patika Samupada, that kind of is the, pro, that's the scripture, like detailing that's the... step-by-step -step sequence of events that takes us through our life of uh, uh, basically going from uh, having a sensational input, processing it with old garbage, and coming up with something that's tainted. Yes. And then that's what we have uh, uh, as our, um, let us say, uh, new constructed reality that's based upon garbage and then that's what impacts us or hits us or contacts us giving rise to feelings yeah wonderful. Right. yeah that makes a lot of sense all right so this is the state that we're talking about with Patita samapada and in fact the poly is is there a jiva is ignorant, Sankara, we've already just kept that as Sankara. Then Vini is consciousness, Nama Rupa is the perception, leading that Nama Rupa with the Sankara into Salayatana. Now, the word Atana is actually the senses, but the Salayatana 
is the internal sense. The what we made of it. Yes. And that's what impacts us. And that impact is called pasa. And pasa gives rise to Vedana, the feelings. And if the feelings are ignorant, then it gives rise into thirst or tanha, wanting something, wanting things that we don't have. That this is basically the issue for all meditators. They're meditating because they want something they don't have. Yeah, we have to immediately true. get them into, no, get yourself out of wanting something you don't have and start enjoying this present moment and be satisfied with it. Yeah. Okay, so tanha is that thirst. We want something. I want enlightenment, or I want a past life experience, or I want a God in my lap, or uh, uh, Jesus in my heart, or whatever it is that we want. That's the thirst. Yeah. And we can look at that first. And that first, okay. And so, and and the rest, that tanha leads to upadana, which is the clinging. And that clinging then leads to the four woeful states. And that leading is called bhava. And then being born into that woeful state, like anger itself, is in fact, that's the self that's born in that hell of anger. And that's dukkha. Mm-hmm. And so in the in the order it goes is Ajiva, Sankara, Sanya, Namarupa, Salayatana, Apasa, Vedana, Tanha, Upadana, Bhava, Jati, Dukkha. Twelve. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's very, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I like, it seems very consistent. <laughs> All the way from like when we were first started talking about the once you understand truths, the yeah. process, you say, "My goodness, the Buddha was smart. How could he have figured that out?" Well, he sat down and he had a mind that had already been partially trained. Mm-hmm. And the whole linchpin to this is, "Aha! I see you, Mara." The waking up and recognizing that the mind has got hindrances in it—that's the big one. Yeah. Aha! Waking I up, see you. the mind has hindrances that has. That lets you do your investigation <laughs> and come to these conclusions, I guess, that the Buddha did. Okay, so now today's talk for a further talk on the deeper parts of Paticca Samuppada and in its integration. But the five aggregates are there within Paticca Samuppada. And in fact, that's the foundation of Paticca Samuppada. Without the aggregates, there would be no teaching of Paticca Samuppada, but the important point about the aggregates themselves is there is no self there anywhere. The self is manufactured. Mm-hmm. And that the manufacturing uh, machine are these five aggregates, but the aggregate of the, uh, but the self is not in that five aggregates. It's almost like an automobile factory is not an automobile with all those robots and all of that uh, equipment in there and all the computers and and uh, all of that stamping equipment it's not a car uh yeah like i guess like why not just okay so like if we just change some of these ingredients of self or whatever like uh we thinking of happy thoughts like we wouldn't have a happy self arise because would that be 
generally, that's a good question because generally what that means is, is that now that we're not going to be in our own selfish suffering, how we're going to deal with the world is going to be through the, um, let us say, the very high class way. Now, when I say high class way, I'm actually translating the word Brahma Bihara. Because the word Bihara is like, how do we dwell, or how do we live, or how do we stay? And we're going to stay high class. What are those things? Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. Or in English, we would say, we're going to be kind to people. We're going to be compassionate and see what their situation is. We're going to spread uh, our joy, Mudita, spreading sympathetic joy. And be able to handle anything. So there wouldn't be a self there, though, like we're talking about, right? These would just no, be like no, an expression. Exactly. Here's a very easy example. Your brother or someone close to you comes and wants to borrow something, not really, really big, let us say $500. And you say, no. Why is that? Because I need that money, mm. that selfishness. And you tell him, no, I need that money. Now he feels bad and I feel bad. But if he comes and borrows $500 and I say, sure, it may hurt a little bit, but I've got it. Here it is. And he's happy and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which one of those episodes was selfish? To telling him, no, I won't give you the money, or yes, you can have it, which is selfish. I don't know, it depends. Huh? It's kind of a trick question. Well, it's not a trick question because the, uh, you can throw the trickiness into it in the sense, well, will I get my money back? Because you might not. But yeah. that's not the issue. Yeah, but I guess, like, why would you be giving him the money? <laughs> I guess would be, like, yeah, if you decide, because yes, I'm giving you the money, him. you could still give him the because money. Because he needs it. Let us say that he needs that money, that you know he needs it. That he'll lose his job if he doesn't get his car fixed. I mean, yeah, in perfect conditions, I could see, yeah, it's definitely a wholesome action. But, like, what if you didn't have any money to give? Like, would you go take out a loan to give to him? Um, would that be the, the wholesome action? Well, like, you're getting too deep be... in the weeds with that in no, the sense that mean, if yeah. you are generous to somebody and you say yes and you give them a gift, that's not being selfish. Yeah, agreed. But yes. if you refuse them of something that they need because of your own fears or your own self-interest, then there's yeah. that selfishness. There it is. Yeah, it's like the prodigal son, prodigal son or whatever, the story of the prodigal son. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're... Son comes back and he's like made a lot of mistakes. And you know, you get But the best dad's row. really happy to see him, yeah. but the other brother is jealous. Yeah. Okay, so the father then is acting unselfishly when the prodigal son comes home, but the brother is being selfish. Yeah, but I guess we're saying you're saying that the self wouldn't be there. Like there's not a self giving that person money at that point, right? In this situation well, that would just be an expression of part. compassion let's go back instead of thinking about us because we've kind of already defined the fact that there's not a soul 
Okay, uh, yeah, I guess I see what you mean. Like, we could construct something that would then, like, but you, but interact with this world to... and then give him money. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm thinking about it. Too. But the attitude of, I need this, the attitude of, no, you can't have it, that's being selfish. Yes, Giving the idea that, yes, we should give you the money because that would, like, you need this, that's arising because we've been able to, you know, reflect on our attachments, like, reflect on... Mm -hmm. um, like ourself, like um, yes, it's making those actions possible in like a wholesome way. Is that a better way of putting it? All right. So one way that you can look at it would be that oh well, I've got plenty of money. I've got ten thousand dollars easy. So five hundred—that's yeah. easy to depart with. And yeah. so you see, there's no selfishness there. Well, what if I don't have five thousand or ten? 10,000, maybe I've only got 600. And now I give 500 away. Uh-oh, now it's getting close to the bone. It's getting close to me. Yeah. You see where, okay. That's where the selfishness comes from. So the greed's from. kicking in, yeah. The greed is coming up, and the greed now is manifesting in telling your brother, no, you can't have the loan, or no, you can't have $500. And that's dukkha for everybody. He's disappointed, and you didn't get any of the benefit of the joy of giving him $500. So they're, both of us have lost out. But if I yeah. give him the money, then in fact, if I only had 600 and I gave him 500 of it, then that would be even more joyful. Yes. But if I had 10,000 and I gave him 500, then that's not a big loss. There's no big deal. But if yeah. I... I think I was just getting pedantic. Um, yeah, I was just like thinking about like, I don't know what we've been talking about and how like there's a self arising. Um, and I guess we talked about like, yeah, maybe in our deepest meditations is something that like self dissolves. But, you know, in the day to day, we're, like we're reconstructing, like we're like changing around these attachments so that these like wholesome attitudes or like these Brahma Viharas, like that's how our self is expressing. Mm -hmm. It's not that there will like enter some magical state where like I'm uh, I don't know unconsciously navigating the world and just like enacting good <laughs> um, like I guess in the normal I don't know is, do you kind of get what well, you're going right at? on that we have been navigating our uh, through through the world unconsciously and also. Um, let us say, causing problems from time to time because we don't recognize this thing that's going on inside the mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll have the awareness of these machinations, like the way our mind's working and like mm -hmm. how these things are arising so that like uh, we're not like ruled by the three poisons and Mara and all that. Right. So but there's another way of stating it then, and that is, is that the, the one he who knows how his own mind works has more self-confidence. Even though there's no self there, there's still confidence. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he who does not know his own mind very well is stuck in trepidation. Yes. He's stuck in the future. All right. So if you know how your mind works and, this, and your uh, brother or your good friend comes and asks for $500, you can think about it and say, you know, if I say yes, everybody will be happy. And if I say no, everybody's going to be miserable. My choice. 
because I'm thinking about it, I'm looking at it, I'm investigating the situation. Most yeah, people see. don't do that. They look at the money and they I'm say, yeah. huh? Yeah, I'm just stuck in like that magical thinking mode. Of like I will enter this state, which I guess we've already talked about it. Like nothing that's not being like a state, really. It's kind of it's like an absence. You're just um, an absence. trying to think like, oh, like maybe I'll go in some magical mode where like I'm yeah, just doing all these things for like exactly the right reasons because I'm just like a pure wisdom machine. But we're just talking about we're investigating how our mind works. Like just if we exactly. understand that, then we can like understand how, you know, these like unwholesome, like our suffering arises. And be like, well, there's this other path to not suffering. And Precisely. yeah, in that case, like, yeah, we can give them some money. Like a, yeah, like <laughs> and so we sense? take the magic out of it. Yeah, let's yeah. take that all of that magical thinking out of it and recognize no, if we investigate, we can see. In certain cases, if I make one choice that's selfish and everybody is suffering, and the other choice that I can make is a non-selfish choice where everybody has benefit. Yes, okay, Thanks. that helps a ton. Yeah, I was, I've been think, trying to think about like that magic bullet all week or just like, I don't know how to describe it, just like, I don't know, thinking I figured it out or like, ooh, like what ingredients do we need to add so that like I just like I'm in pure bliss all the time, but... We're kind of just talking about the way the world works, the way our mind works, like how the self is constructed. Bliss ain't pure. It's got a structure. <laughs> yeah. It's not just skin. It's got bones. <laughs> yeah. It, yes. So we will talk about uh, this a little bit more in detail. This is just barely getting things going. And so <laughs> this is... This is why we talk about the five aggregates first, because we have to get that foundation that I have uh, actually done a bit of research. Actually, I didn't have to do the research. All I had to do was just look up everything that was in a particular endnote <laughs> that Bhikkhu Bodhi had already done for us to find out that there are more than a dozen places where the five aggregates are uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya, and in all cases, it has only one point. There's only one point to these five aggregates. Yeah, and really. that is, is that there is no self in any one of those components of those five aggregates. There is no self in feelings. I am not my anger. I am not the body. If I were the body, if the body was really mine, then I could be a girl today and a horse tomorrow and a changeling all over the place. I could even Jesus talks about it. You cannot change your stature even one inch. Mm -hmm. You cannot be old today and young tomorrow. You can't do it. The uh, body well, okay. does not belong to you. Yeah. That's kind of hard for people to get. The body doesn't belong to me. And then we recognize, wait a minute, the feelings don't belong to me either. That in fact, if there's anything, the feelings own me. When anger comes, I've got no choice about it. Oh, wow. Hmm. Until we yeah, that's interesting, because I do feel like I'm, yeah, like whenever I do feel like I, those are my things, like if I'm angry, it's like, I am angry. It's not like I this anger is happening to me. Or like right. This, this thing is right. This ain't, but this anger is not me. I am not this anger. I am not this sadness. 
And that's, that's really freeing when to recognize that I am not that anger and I won't draw out of it. Yeah. That whole point that I'm making, I am not that anger. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm the one pointing. I am not the anger that's grabbed me. This is so begin to see that is true in all cases for feelings and for thoughts and for everything that you are not that thought. Mm-hmm. Which means you can change it right now. You can make these changes in this moment. And we change it by forgetting or <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, well, you can change it by changing your attitude. You can change it, basically. The question then is, well, when do you make this change? The answer is whenever I remember. Okay, we can remember that we can change because these things are... And when sati is unremitting, that means that I can make a lot of changes because I keep remembering to change, Mm -hmm. to not go by that old way. Let's also take an investigation. Look, is this the right way to do it or is this going to lead to suffering? Yeah, and we can change because of these relationships. We can change our relationship to them, I guess. Right. So we can investigate that. We can be like, okay, well, like, I'm not that feeling. I am so not. that's not a part of me. And so, yeah, no longer am I sad. So I can, you see, when we think I am angry, then that means it is overwhelming and it's got control. And who knows when it's going to be over. Yeah. When I recognize I am not my anger, that means... Out you go. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it makes sense that if I was like continuing to feel sad, then like I'm still identifying with that to an extent, or like I still believe that I am that. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, I don't have any actual um, instructions of how to apply this to meditation yeah. other than to recognize that thinking about the five aggregates and the four noble truths is wholesome kind of thinking. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll think about them. And uh, yeah, I mean, that'll help my investigation a ton. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see you in a few days then, and we'll All continue right. on with it. All right. Have a good evening. Okay. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye.